Good morning. Good to see you. Thank you so much for being here this weekend. Uh, whether you're here in Plymouth at one of our satellites at Northridge, Brighton, Howell, Ann Arbor, Saline, or Church Online, great to have you with us as we dig into this, I believe, transformational series called Break the Mold. Uh, this weekend, in order to get into the aspects that we'll be covering, I, I, I think it's interesting how we as human beings start creating some common behavioral patterns that we might be unaware of, but other people pick them up immediately. If you've ever seen these people who imitate other people, they, they take a couple of the common features, common tells that make it clear to identify who they're imitating, and each and every one of us have those patterns. Now, for me, one of my very common behavioral patterns I have discovered throughout my life is something like this. What was I thinking? Can any of you relate at all to that? I mean, what in the world was I thinking? I'm sure that if you were honest, we could share story after story after story after story, keep each other in stitches over the crazy stuff that we've done because our thinking wasn't quite tuned to good behavior, and there would be no cricket moments. But since we can't swap stories, I just thought I'd share a couple of mine to kind of, you know, what was I thinking deal. And know this, I've been the senior pastor of this church for 23 years, so unless I'm going to make up stories from my past, um, I'm going to retell some stories along the line. So if you've been here for a couple of decades, you've probably heard a couple of these deals. Many of you are new and haven't, but, but there is a relevant point in application to them, I hope for the talk. Uh, when, I, when I was younger, uh, actually a senior in high school, getting ready to graduate, uh, moving towards graduation, two of my very good friends and I were out on a Friday night, and I'll put it in church-appropriate language, having a good time. And um, we, we came across in our having a good time experience that night um, this piece of property that was very well signed. You know, it was do not enter, do not trespass, under threat of jail, do not go in here, warning, dangerous, do not come in here. If you come in here, you're an idiot and we will take you to jail. That kind of signage, which for us, being the high IQ kids that we were, was, well, a personal invitation to go onto this property. And it was owned by a television station and it had a 275-foot tower that we thought was built for our entertainment. And without any safety gear, being the knuckleheads that we were, we climbed this thing, right? We're almost to the top of it. You know, up there, if you've never been that high, it's like this tower's going... And all of a sudden, we look down. We couldn't hear anything, but we looked down, and these two little matchbox cars with little blue lights flashing on them pulled up by this TV tower. You know, we were really not too bright, and we thought, hey, they'll never get us. We can just stay up here. Yeah. (laughs) Brilliance. Finally, reality wore in on us, and we went down, and the guy immediately, he was not happy at all with us, and immediately ticketed us and gave us a court date where we had to go and stand before a judge who had told the last offenders that the next people who do it are going to get 90 days in jail. Uh, A couple of weeks go by, we go to our court date, the three of us are standing in front of this judge, and for some reason, it's just bizarre, he looks right at me, he doesn't look at my two friends, he looks right at me and he says, Mr. Powell, tell me about this experience. And so I told him the made-up story that we had all decided on, and uh, 
he, he, you know, what was I thinking? He, he looked at me and said, Mr. Paul, here's the thing. You and your friends have your parents in this courtroom next week. Now, this comes to the, to the relevance of this story to this talk. Um, what you need to know is that my dad was an attorney and a judge in this particular jurisdiction. And I wasn't bright enough to figure out that if I was going to go and stand before a judge in that courtroom, he was going to find out about it. It turns out the judge I was standing in front of looked at me, asked me to do the talking because he knew me hands down. I look a little bit like my mom. The guy knew me. And I was too dumb to not tell my dad before it ever happened. What was I thinking? He showed up at my place of employment that day and he was pee. Ode. How dare you come into my courtroom and not tell me about it? Oh, right. Okay, so it was a good experience. Another story. Um, <laughs> one time my, my dad found um, some uh, church-appropriate language um, contraband uh, of mine. And uh, just for those of you who might be guests or regular tenders, uh, I haven't always been a Jesus follower, and I certainly haven't always been a pastor, okay? So let's be honest about that. And my dad found this contraband, and he, he didn't tell me he found it. He, he, he instead decided to ask me innocent questions as if he was just trying to find out what my exposure was. And I bought into the behavior pattern really well. And he was saying, so have you ever, ever seen anything like this? I'm really worried about your environment and want to make sure you're okay. Have you ever seen anything like this? To which I went, no, Dad, never. <laughs> Do any of your friends? No, I'd never hang out with people who, you know, did that kind of stuff. I don't even know. Do you know what it looks like? No, not really, Dad. <laughs> so I played innocent, naive, right? My dad, if I need to remind you, was an attorney and a judge. He dealt with idiots every day of his life. And I think that I can fool him. He nailed me. I, it was, I was down for the count. It was one of those, what was I thinking? The, the reality is, when you examine my life, my picture would have been appropriately placed right next to the word stupid in the dictionary when I was growing up because that's what I was. But before you begin shaking your head too much in disdain my way, Let's be honest, you've had a lot of what-was-I-thinking moments in your life as well, right? I mean, we all have this unique problem, and it would be great if it was just yesterday's problem. Wouldn't it be great if we could just say our brain wasn't fully developed, and so we were young and we were dumb? But the problem is the same thing has, has crept into our adult lives as well, those of us who are adults, where we still have such messed up thinking where we still make such bad decisions when we should know better. We've learned those lessons before. And the reason we do this is because we have this common problem. It's not unique to me. It's unique to all of us. And here's the problem. Sin ruined, totally messed up our thinking. Sin did. Now I know, for those of you who might be new, haven't been a part of this series, you might be going, sin? Come on, that's not a relevant word in the 21st century. That, that's not even a relevant issue anymore. Yes, it is. I know the word's not used in our vernacular very much, but this is an issue all of us deal with. And last weekend, if you didn't hear the talk, go listen to it because I defined out what sin really is. You know, it's where we take what God gave us, our mind that reflects his image, our heart that reflects his image, our will that reflects his image, but we use it 
to do our own thing, to build our own kingdom, to pursue our own agenda contrary to his. That's sin when we do our own thing and leave him out of it. And sin has ruined, totally messed up our thinking. And in case you're sitting here going, oh, that's really a problem for people like you, you need to know it's a problem for people like you. It's for all of us. Look at what Romans 3.23 says. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of worshiping God, bringing pleasure to God, the glory of God. Every one of us has this problem, this, this idea of using our minds and our hearts and our will to go contrary to God's designs for our life, contrary to his truth, to think that we know more and better than God and make choices based upon that is sin. And it's messed up our thinking. It's created problems in the way we're wired mentally. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It just confirms it again. The God of this age, the evil one, Satan himself, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Those who have sinned are contrary to God, have not yet trusted him, so that they cannot even see the light of the gospel. They can't see light. They can't see good news. The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I mean, our thinking has been totally messed up by living contrary to God. One last one, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. This is really the foundational passage for the entire series, Ephesians 4 is. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, no longer live as those who reject God, live contrary to God, because this is how they live, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and thus separated from the life of God, the life that God designed them for, because of the ignorance that's in them. Do you see all the thinking relevant terms in that passage? It's saying the reason they're not experiencing the life that God designed to them, the reason they're living so far below their potential and so far below their value is because of the futility of their thinking. Their understanding has been darkened. They're living in ignorance. I mean, it's all about thinking. Sin. Living contrary to God, pushing God out of our lives, thinking we know more and better than God has totally ruined the way we think. It's messed up how we reason and rationalize our lives. And and realize how important this issue is. The way we think determines everything. I mean, the way we think determines the words we use, the actions we pursue. And ultimately, every outcome and consequence of our life starts in the mind with the way we think. And if our thinking is messed up and twisted and ruined, our lives are going to be the same. In fact, I I wrote it this way. You You can't walk it, you can't talk it, and you can't experience it until first you think it. And so if your thinking's messed up, your walk will be messed up, your your talk will be messed up, your life will be messed up. In fact, just for my own good, I came up with a a simple saying that helps me to keep this before me, and maybe it can help you. Messed up thinking always ends in messed up living. And all of us have messed up thinking because all of us have sinned. It's destroyed the way we think. It's messed up. It's ruined the way we think. And messed up thinking always ends in messed up living. Now, for those of you on Twitter right now, that's tweetable. You should be tweeting that right now. Messed up thinking always ends in messed up living. Okay, I'll give you a minute. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to give you a minute to tweet. But you get the idea. 
Thinking is vital and important, and this is a bigger problem than most of us understand. Most of us don't contemplate how we think and the, the processes of our choices and that it stems from our thinking. I mean, we don't do that very often, but God has told us how deeply our thinking has been messed up. And so you understand how big of an issue it is? We're going to take a very deep dive on the impact of us walking contrary to God, what that impact has had on the way we think. You see, first of all, by nature, let's just put it in the big picture, by nature, we are incapable of understanding God's truth. Because we are born with this nature contrary to God, with this sin nature, we are born incapable of understanding God's truth. Look at how the Bible says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The man without God... The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from God, from the Spirit of God. In fact, the man without God thinks that God's wisdom is foolishness. God's truth is foolishness. The things that God wants and desires and says are foolishness. So much so are they messed up in their thinking that they can't even understand the things that God says because those things are spiritually discerned. When you and I sin and walk away from God, which all of us have, it literally destroys and distorts and makes dysfunctional our spiritual discernment to where we can't even understand the simple truths of God. Now, we were created to understand the things of God. We were created to understand the truths of God. We were created to embrace them and live them and think them and thus walk them and thus talk them and thus experience them, but we can't even understand his truth anymore, even when it's right in front of us. Great example, the people in Jesus' day. I read the Bible, and I look at people's response to Jesus, and I, it doesn't even make sense to me. It boggles my mind how, how foolish they were. I mean, here's this rabbi who, who actually lives what he teaches. He's not just talking about other people but living a life of hypocrisy. He, he's like living out this life of genuineness, truly a life of light. And, and he's proving his words with his power. He's not just talking about God. He's demonstrating the power of God. He healed the blind. He healed the physically challenged. He even raised the dead. And I'm reading this in the Bible, and I'm going, my gosh. I mean, if a guy's like raising people from the dead, you might want to listen to him. Right? But now they're, hey, this guy's, this guy's raising the dead. Let's nail him to a cross, beat him to a pulp, and kill him. It's just, it, it doesn't even make sense until you realize that we're exactly the same way. Sin has so distorted our thinking that we can't understand the light when it's right in front of us. We see the light as darkness and the darkness is light. We we think, oh, those people, I can't believe they responded that way to God. If God showed up today right here, we'd be in the same mess because sin has rendered us incapable of understanding God's truth. But it goes deeper than that. But by nature, our mind has been so ruined that we can only think and be motivated by the short term. We think short term. We think temporary. Philippians 3.19 really puts it in, in ruddy terms. It says their destiny is destruction. Those people who are walking contrary to God, they have these ruined forms of thinking. Their destiny is destruction because their God is their stomach. Their glory, that which they worship, is really their shame because their mind is only on earthly things, on the temporary, created to be eternal but living only for the temporary. Sin has so ruined our thinking that we live in terms of the short term. 
That, that phrase in that passage really puts it in perspective for me. Their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. In other words, everything they do, everything they're motivated by is through the needs and desires of their present moment. Their God is their stomach. And I, this is in real clear vision for me right now because Roxanne and I, just this last week, watched our four grandchildren for a, a week It was a great privilege. <laughs> a week, four kids, five and under. Grandparents should not do stuff like this. That's all I can say. So this week, and the youngest is four months old, right? Four months old. I kept trying to say, do you love pop-pop? Do you love pop-pop? Do you love pop-pop? And the only thing she cared, the only thing she, the only thing she cared about. You gonna give me that bottle, or am I gonna keep crying? <laughs> Wah! Plug that mouth right there, like, you know. Doesn't matter how much love, how much attention, how much anything. Hungry? Wah! You know, that's just the thing. God is the stomach, and you know what's really sad. It's the same for us. We live for the moment. We're feeling sorrow, and so we look for a quick fix of joy. We're feeling despair, so we look for a quick fix of hope. We're feeling without value, so we look for a quick fix of affirmation. We're feeling like life's boring, so we look for a quick fix of pleasure, and our God is our stomach, and it doesn't even make sense because we make choices we make choices to meet our short-term needs and wants that we know are going to ruin our long-term lives, and we don't care because sin has so messed up the way we think. And the reason is we were meant to have the fullness of God in our life at all times, but when we walked away from him, we now have the emptiness of our own reality at all times, and we're doing whatever we can to overcome it. Our thinking's been messed up, we think, in terms of the short term. But it goes further than that. Our thinking has been ruined by our sin because we now have, by nature, a bent for the wrong things. We we literally have a bent, a natural propensity, a natural desire and longing and draw towards the wrong things. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted, and remember, all of us have been corrupted, all of us have sinned, all of us fall short from the glory of God, all of us have had our thinking messed up and twisted in knots. To those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Well, now that explains some things. I mean, the reason we feel good about things that are very, very bad is because our consciences have been messed up. Our minds are twisted. We, we see darkness as light and light as darkness and good as bad and bad as good and everything's been turned on its head and some of you are going, yeah, people like you have problems like that. But let me just tell you, this isn't people like me. This is people. This is you. 
And this isn't just for all the really bad things that we've done or all the really bad things that we're doing, all the things that all of us agree are awful because many of us go, oh, it's really horrible what those people do over there and it's really terrible what those people do over there as if we escape the problem. All of us have a bent for the wrong things because this is about not just the big bad things but the little bad things. It has to do with having a bent for doing the little compromising of God's truth, the little compromising of God's guidelines for life, and then rationalizing that the, the little ones aren't bad. It's only the big ones that are bad. In fact, we love to judge people who have different sins than us, don't we? But our sins are okay. But their sins, they're really, really bad. And I I want you to see it because we have all of us, whether it's big or small, a bent for the wrong things. This is why we we lie to protect ourselves. Not the big lies. You'd never do a big lie. Just a little lie. And we rationalize it. I'm saving their feelings. You know, it makes life better. But but what we're doing is we're, we're proving our bent to do the wrong thing. We think we're going to experience the consequence of a life of integrity by living a life with no integrity. And it doesn't work that way. Our minds are messed up. We do the same thing. There are people who go, oh, those people who do all those big bad things. And yet there are many people who are judging other people who are holding on to their own anger and their own bitterness and they're withholding forgiveness. And you know what God says, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And if you can't forgive someone else, you're certainly not experiencing my forgiveness in your life today. And we have the bent to do these wrong things. It feels so right to stay angry. It feels so right to not forgive someone. And yet it's absolutely wrong. We've got the bent towards it. And there's one last one that I think all of us can relate to. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that in everything we're supposed to give thanks. That's got to be wrong. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't come naturally for me. In everything, give thanks. No. In the things that I like, give thanks. In everything else, complain. Give me a little cheese for my wine, for gosh sake. You know, I mean, we we naturally are not grateful for all things. In fact, here's what I have found in me and in other people. The most judgmental people in the world are usually the most ungrateful people in the world. Because you see, when I'm grateful... I want everybody else to be happy. But when I'm ungrateful, I'm feeling ripped off, and I want you to be ripped off too. And so I start judging you and trying to pull you down to my place, and and we have this ingratitude. And it's because we feel good about being ungrateful, but it's actually making us worse. Our thinking is so messed up that we have a bent for the wrong things. It goes even deeper than this. By nature... By nature, we misplace our worship. By nature, we literally misdirect, misplace our worship. Uh, Look at how God says it in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He makes it very clear that, that we've misplaced our worship because the way we think is ruined. Although they claim to be wise... They think they're really smart, really intelligent, really brilliant. They became fools. You see, oh, our minds have been ruined. And and this is what proves it, according to God. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They exchanged the worship of God, devotion to the God, the God who is, the God who's powerful, the God who can meet our needs, the God who can fulfill his promises. They exchanged the worship of the immortal God for worshiping images 
made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. How, how smart is this? You've got a God who can breathe into existence the universe and who loves us and does all things good and has made promises to know us that we can worship and in worshiping him we can experience life. But in our brilliance, because we're so wise, because we know so much more and so much better than God, we've chosen to worship things that we make inanimate objects that we know aren't gods, but they hold us accountable to nothing. Things like money, religious icons, traditions, even church buildings. I mean, we worship things that aren't God, but we don't worship God himself. And know this, we were created to worship. It's a part of our makeup. It's a part of the dynamic need that God wired into our lives. But sin causes us to take this natural wiring of worship and misplace it. It explains a lot of the crazy stuff that people do in the name of religion. It explains a lot of the crazy stuff that that we do in our lives in the name of worship. It it explains so much. For example, have you ever seen seen how crazy people behave in the presence of someone they consider to be a superstar? Oh, my gosh. I think the first time I was ever exposed to it was when I was a young kid seeing how people responded to the Beatles. Oh, my gosh, they went bananas. And then, next generation, Michael Jackson. Oh, my, oh. And now, and I have a hard time understanding this one. Beatles, great music. I mean, Michael Jackson, phenomenal musician. But today, the same thing's happening with Justin Bieber. Wow. But you do understand it's just misplaced worship, right? We're designed to worship. We have to worship something, and that's what they're doing. I mean, think, all the signs of worship, they scream for them, they cry for them, they swoon for them, they reach out for them, they jump up and down for them, they they faint for them, they're holding on to the cars and being dragged in the streets for them. They throw their panties at... Did I just say that in public? Oh, my gosh. Seriously misplaced worship and, as that last comment expresses, inappropriate worship. Worshiping that which does not deserve worship and not worshiping the only one that does deserve worship. Why do we do it? Why do we worship that which can never satisfy and we don't worship the only one who can satisfy? It's because our brain has been messed up by sin. It's just the way it is. And you might be going, I'd never do anything like that. Beatles, Justin Bieber. You know what? You misplace your worship too. You just do it in different ways. Because you know what worship is, right? Worship is when we devote ourselves to something, when we obsessively think and talk about something, when we trust our lives to something, when we invest ourselves emotionally or mentally or physically or financially in something. And, and this is what many of you do with work. You're just misplacing your worship. Money. You're just misplacing your worship. Pleasure. Country music. (laughs) At least worship something appropriate. That's all I I mean, seriously. 
We misplace our worship because our thinking's messed up. It goes deeper. By nature, now, now listen, by nature, we fight with God. We fight against his ways and we fight against his purposes. Now, first of all, can I just say that just doesn't make sense. In a fight against God, we're going to lose. And yet, we do it all the time. And some of you, I know what it's like. I mean, when we come to church a lot and all that different stuff, we start thinking in maybe pious terms. And some of you might be right now saying, I don't fight with God. How dare you? All right. Don't fight with me. Fight with God about the fact that you don't fight with God since he's the one that says you fight with him. All right? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 7. The sinful mind, which all of us have, the sinful mind is what? Hostile to God, has declared war with God, is in conflict with God. It does not submit to God's truth, God's law. It can't even do so. Every single one of us has gone to war with God because we think we know better than him. We think we could run not just our lives better, but the world better. Because if we were God, we wouldn't let bad things happen to good people. And if we were God, none of these natural disasters, if we were God, this wouldn't happen. And if we were God, there'd be no daylight savings time, for gosh sake. And I mean, if we were God, and we've all gone to war with him, every single one of us, thinking we know better, and every time you choose to do what you want to do when it's contrary to his, you're saying, I know better. And you're in conflict. And we all do it. I do it. Look at Galatians 5.17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are at war with each other. And then I love this last phrase. So that you do not do what you want. So that you do not do what you want. There's the explanation. I'm going to tell you so often, I do not do what I want. I didn't want my parents to always be disappointed with me. But my parents were almost always disappointed with me. I don't want to regret choices I make, but there are almost in every season of my life choices that I regret. I don't do what I want. Why? Because my mind has been so ruined that I have this idea that I know better than God, that my ways are better than God's ways, that my purposes are more meaningful than his, and I'm wrong. And know this, anytime we choose our will and our way above God's, we are fighting with him. great example of this is, is Peter in the Bible. Peter loved Jesus. Peter loved Jesus, gave his life to Jesus was a great friend of Jesus. Peter was the one who had such a spiritual understanding and discernment that he was one of the first to recognize that Jesus was the promised Messiah. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? You're them. They say this, but, but I say you're the Messiah. And, and Jesus literally said, God had to show you that. That's unbelievable. In the same exact chapter, right after Jesus is going, because I'm Messiah, Peter, just like you just said, because I'm Messiah, I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to have to suffer and I'm going to die and then I'll, I'll be raised again. <laughs> and Peter goes, no, you're not. 
In fact, this is how Peter said it. Never, Lord. This is what he was saying. Lord, God, you're clueless. Lord, you don't have a clue what you know. I know you're God, but this one you got wrong because that's not going to happen. I won't let it happen. And you know what Jesus' response to him was? Get behind me. What? You see, even if we love Jesus, even if we're sincere, we can still be expressing the wrong things because our mind is messed up. It's a tough thing. All of these things explain so much of why we do what we do why we don't do what we want to do, and why no matter how hard we try to fix what we do, we can't because messed up thinking leads to messed up living, and that's where we all are. Thanks for coming. Enjoy your week. No, that's not. That's, it can't end there, right? It can't end there. But that's where it does end unless we invite him in to change us. This is our reality unless we turn to him for the solution. So what's God's solution? God's solution is pretty amazing, actually. God, through Jesus, has made it possible for us to receive a new mind. Now, I hope I've painted a bleak enough picture for you about your mind. It certainly does evidence my mind. I mean... My mind is so distorted that even when I think I'm thinking right, I'm thinking wrong. Even when I think I'm choosing right, I'm choosing wrong. It's just messed up. No matter how hard I work on it, it just, it just doesn't work right. But God, through Jesus, has made it possible for us to get a new mind. This is why it's not enough for you just to come into a, a church and say, I'm changing my behavioral patterns because if you don't change your mind, your behavioral patterns are going to be motivated by the same temporary junk as before. Maybe in a new culture, in a new place, you're going to be just as messed up, just as selfish. Have you ever noticed that in churches, people can be just as selfish, just as angry, just as mean, just as sorrowful as any place in the world? Have you ever noticed that even in the church environment where people are lifting their names and saying Jesus' name, they can have just as hard a time keeping their relationships together, just as hard a time keeping their life together, and just as hard a time making good joy. Have you ever noticed that? It's because it's not about changing our environment. It's about letting him give you a new mind. This isn't a religious issue. This is a transformational issue. Have you experienced it? God makes it possible. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord? that he may instruct him. No one has the thinking that can compete with God's. But in Christ, he's saying, we have the mind of Christ. We can have a new mind, the mind of Jesus, which allows us to live life like him instead of like we've lived it. And look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation, the old gone, the new come. God changes our minds, our hearts, our will, every part of us. But it starts with trusting him instead of yourself. It starts with receiving him. You, you'll never fix yourself by changing your own thinking, but Jesus can fix you by giving you his mind. And that's what we need. Have you ever received him in that way? Now, right here in the, in the middle of the talk, before, I mean, I finish the talk, and let me say that again. It's the middle of the talk. It's not the end of the talk. I'm going to actually invite some of you to do what you desperately need. 
Ask Jesus to give you this new mind. Ask him to save you. And so would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment, and then I'll go into the application part of the talk. If you're here and you're going, whoa, I need this new mind, pray with me. Make, make my words the expression of your heart to God and, and just say, God, my, my thinking's messed up. When I think I'm going right, I go wrong. And when I think I'm being wise, I'm being foolish. And, and God, I admit that it's because I've sinned against you. I've done my own thing thinking my way would be better than yours. And it's messed me up. But Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross for my sin. And I'm trusting you to forgive me. And I believe you rose again to give me a new life, a new mind. And by faith I'm receiving it. Change me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, I really can't encourage you enough. Please let me know. What we want to do is we want to send you a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God, but I have to know. And so in the programs, if you're in one of our three campuses in a live service, you just take out the connection card that's inside, and then you fill it out, and then on the bottom you, you check off that circle that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus, and put it in one of the boxes as you leave our auditoriums, and we'll send you that letter. And if you're watching Church Online, so glad you're a part of Northridge, but hit the What Next button, and we'll do the same thing for you. Now to the application. What's the result? I mean, what's the result? If, if I have the mind of Christ, what's the result? Well, here's the result. When we have the mind of Christ, it transforms us. It literally transforms us. It changes the way we think. It changes our abilities in every way. It changes us from what we've been to what God created us to be. Here's what it does. When we have the mind of Christ, it breaks the mold of the negative pattern we've established and it allows us to live a new life. But rather than talking about it at first, why not look at a story? There's this young man who attends Northridge and his story is one of how messed up life can be with our own mind, but how God can transform us with his mind. And his story is so powerful and so uniquely told that our video team here decided to put it down so that you could see it. Meet Ezekiel. I'd say about a year ago, uh, I started really thinking about how to convey the message that God has given me, where God has taken me from and, and where he's bringing me to. I like doing poetry, and so I figured what other better way to, to convey it than in a poem. And here it is. momentary fun and when the night was done and the a.m. comes I was left with emotions that would crumble some and change it was so elusive in my mind it was inconclusive and it didn't help at all that the world is so intrusive planting ideologies and man-made philosophies and little did I know I had underwent lobotomy 
surgically programmed to do me and so do me is what I did. Me was all that mattered so I took an extra swig of the vodka mixed with coke and I took just two more hits of the blunt that went around while another one was lit and I would sleep, sleep with different women and male culture would imbue a mix of different emotions like that's what real men do. They go, get as many girls as they can, and it's okay to head to the computer when there's no supply and high demand, and I would cry somewhere in the interior where it was safe to feel inferior, far past my life's exterior that to most seemed superior, but I was crying with a smile. I was good at living a lie, but my soul knew the truth. I was just a sinner, and my life was the living proof. Guilty, convicted by the law written on the tablet of my heart. All my soul wanted was peace, but instead it was picked apart, and so Risk suicide was on my mind and an eternity in the dark. And then my God saved me. A body formed from dust with a broken stony heart trapped inside. He reached into this vessel and he made what was dead alive. And because of this, I weep my savior's feet from an overflow of joy my savior he's not asleep he's awake in this young boy i'm grateful for what he's done he saved me from sin and death but most of all i'm grateful because he saved me from myself Ezekiel's story is my story. Messed up thinking led to messed up living, but then my God saved me. Ezekiel's story is your story, the first part for sure. Messed up thinking leads to messed up living, and the second part of the story can be yours as well because God loves all of us, but God can save you. And what happens when we allow him to give us this new mind? When, when we have the mind of Christ, it transforms our thinking. It transforms the way we think. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, this is for those of us who have the mind of Christ, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Well, on my own, I can't think those things. On my own, I think that which is false, ignoble, wrong, impure, unlovely, and not to be admired. But he can turn us around. He transforms our thinking. When we have the mind of Christ, he transforms our understanding where we can't even understand the simplest things of God, where we twist them around and misplace them and can't see God when he's standing right in front of us and see light as darkness and darkness is light and hope is despair and despair is hope and goodness is bad and badness is goodness. He transforms our understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.12. 
We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may finally, once for all, understand what God has freely given us. When we have the mind of Christ, it transforms our attitudes and our worship. That which is misplaced and that which is so wrong can become so right. Philippians 2, 3, and 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, he says to those of us who have faith in Christ, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves as Jesus did. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ transforms our attitudes, our worship, and yet it's so sad that so many people who claim to have the mind of Christ are so filled with negative, destructive attitudes. It's so sad that so many who claim to have the mind of Christ are worshiping the temporary instead of the eternal, trusting for money to give them security instead of generously trusting God to keep providing what He's promised. It's sad. But when you really have the mind of Christ, He transforms your inside and your out. When we have the mind of Christ, it transforms our view Whereas outside of Christ, we're locked into the short term. We, we live for the, the solution of our need in the moment. Our God becomes our stomach. We're very much like an infant, you know, just trying to find pleasure in the moment. But with the mind of Christ, our view is transformed. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds now on things above, not on earthly things. Live for the eternal. And you know what Paul says in Romans eight eighteen. The suffering of this present time isn't even worth comparing to the glory that we'll have forever with Jesus. We don't have to get blown out of the water and messed up no matter how bad this world gets because this world is a piece of lint on the timeline of eternity. But if all you have is the lint, the lint is everything for you. But eternity is forever. He changes your view. When we have the mind of Christ, it transforms our choices. I always wonder, why are my choices so bad? And the reason is I'm functioning based upon my own messed up thinking instead of based upon the mind of Jesus. Romans 12, 2, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Break the mold of the world's thinking. How? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When your mind is renewed, your life is renewed. And when your mind is renewed, you will be able to test and approve what God's will really is, good, pleasing, and perfect. I can always tell when someone doesn't have the mind of Christ, when someone's mind is still messed up and distorted, it's because they think that God's will will not lead to life in its fullness. They think that God's ways will lead them away from happiness, will lead them away from hope, will lead them away from success, will lead them away from meaning. But the truth is the opposite. When you have the mind of Christ, it transforms your choices because you know God's will always leads to your true longings being fulfilled, to your true value being expressed, to your true purpose being experienced. But without that mind, you're going to keep pursuing the wrong things. This is a big deal kind of talk. And I started this last weekend, and I'm going to continue it this weekend. I thought I would just identify one decision. There are many decisions that you could make. But I thought I'd give you one simple decision, and it's a big one. Very necessary to living with the new mind of Christ. 
Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. It takes faith to worship the God of eternal. It takes faith to look beyond the short term to the long term. It takes faith to understand that God is the one who will lead you the right way instead of how you feel or how your mind presently works. It takes faith. And where does faith come from? The Bible, God's truth. Look at Psalm 19.7. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The statutes of the Lord, that's his truth, the Bible. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. And when you invest in them and follow them, they make wise the simple. Well, there's what I need. I, I need my simplicity to made, be made into wisdom. I, I need my dumb choices to be made into wise choices. And there's one thing that can do it. God's truth, God's word. So here's the decision I really encourage every single one of you to make. This week, daily choose the right brain food. Choose the right brain food. Every day, you're feeding your brain stuff. Ezekiel showed it. If we allow the food that goes into our brain to be this world's philosophies and ideologies, it's going to lead us to make choices that will destroy us. But if we allow the truth of Jesus Christ to be that which feeds our brain, we will start thinking in new ways, using new words, walking in new paths, and experiencing new outcomes. So break the mold and redefine your thinking by his truth. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.